So I'd like to say welcome to visitors. Uh, I see a number of people that I've never met before, and so we'd like to welcome you guys to Mac Ave Community Church. Leon mentioned there's quite a bit of resources out back. If you'd like to little, know a little bit more about our DNA, who we are, we'd love you to participate in that. We'd also love to get to know you and have a conversation with you. So uh, tonight's, or today's brunch, we'd love to see you down there and, and again, get to know you a little bit better. Um, one thing about Mac Ave that we like to do is because this is not just about us gaining mental knowledge as we're uh, teaching the Word of God, our desire is for us to grow spiritually. The only way that that's going to happen is if we understand the Scriptures and how they're applicable in our lives. So during today's message, if you guys have a question that's pertinent to the conversation, please feel free to raise your hand. I'll give you a call, and if we can answer it, we will. If it's something that we can discuss afterwards, maybe something more personal as opposed to something that the congregation would benefit, be welcome to do that as well. One other thing is we normally study entire books of the Bible from chapter 1, verse 1, to the end of the book, and we do that for a number of reasons. One, the book was written in entirety, and it's kind of silly to break that thing up into various chapters unless we're going to read the whole thing together because that's going to lead us in error in a couple of ways. One is we can pull out scriptures out of context and make them fit to portions of our lives that we want. And the other thing is most likely we're going to just end up uh, discussing things that make us happy, uh, not the difficult things of life and difficult things of the scripture. So we're doing things a little bit differently for the next couple of weeks. We're studying ecclesiology, which is the study of uh, the church. And we're doing so topically, uh, but we're hopefully doing those in a systematic way uh, so that we can just gain a better understanding of the different aspects of the church. Uh, So let's pray. Father, you are great. And in your kingdom, nothing is wasted. Lord, you work all things for your glory and for our betterment. Even the sour things, Lord God, even the hard things. Lord, may your son be exalted today. May your name be lifted up. May our hearts cry out to you, Father God, in worship, in adoration, in thanksgiving, in gratitude that you've given us your holy scriptures. Thank you that the church is your body, it's your bride, and you will have your way with the church, Lord God, and we trust you in that and your sovereignty. Father, may the words I speak today, may they be your words, may they bring you glory and honor. Lord, we know your word is powerful. Make it so in our lives. Give us ears to hear today, Father God. Break our our hearts, Father God, with your word that we might surrender all things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as I I asked Eric Russ if he would give me a little guidance. Today we're going to be talking about the word in the church. So I asked him to give me a little guidance on where he would like me to go with that, and he, and he sent me an email with about three things on it. One of them was the most important thing that we're definitely going to discuss, and there were two side subjects, addendums, one of which I'm not going to be able to talk about because I'm, I'm not real good in diversifying, man. I need to have one goal and, and head that direction. So one of the things that I would encourage you guys in, because Eric thinks it's important enough to discuss it, is the origin of the scriptures and how they came about. So I'd encourage you, plenty of books back here, plenty of resources, plenty of intelligent people who can walk you through that uh, aspect. 
The other thing that Eric asked me to discuss was that how throughout history, God has had men and women who have fought for the integrity of Scripture. And as I've been kind of praying through and thinking through how to, how to bring that to you guys, uh, the other day I was watching a YouTube video of John Wycliffe. Uh, he was a reformer. And as I was watching this thing, one thing kept standing out to me. And as I thought about other guys that I know from the uh, Reformation, John Calvin, John Huss, uh, William Tyndale, and John Wycliffe, a number of these guys, uh, uh, they appeared to be in rebellion to the church. And as I'm watching this video, I'm thinking, you know what? They're in rebellion to the church because the church was in rebellion to the word of God. And uh, historically, if you read anything about these guys, these guys were not pointing their finger at the church and yelling at them, and these guys weren't rebels. These guys were saying, I read in the scriptures, for by grace am I saved through faith, and faith alone. Please show me the error of my ways, but do so using scripture. They fought for the integrity of the word. And they so much so, I don't know if you guys know this, John Wycliffe was declared a heretic after he was dead. And you know what they did? They dug up his body and burned his bones and scattered him in a river, thinking that that was going to do something. Now, how angry do these guys have to be to go dig up some dude's bones and burn him after he was dead? I mean, that, that's, just, that's crazy. So as I'm thinking further back, I'm thinking, okay, who is the epitome of what we're discussing? The, thanks, Jesus. So what happened when he was arguing with anyone, the scribes, the Pharisees, what did he always do? He did one of three things. He said, hey, this is a man-made law. I don't find this thing in scriptures. You guys are in error. Two, you guys are in error in your interpretation of the scriptures. And he would show them where they were. Or three, they didn't have the whole counsel of scripture. They were taking one thing out of context. And if you think about it, that's one thing that our pastors consistently do. I just picked up that little blue thing in the back about the gospel. It's got the gospel narrative. Because our pastors are desirous for to know the whole story. Not just off to the right, not just off to the left, but understanding the whole counsel of Scripture so as we're making decisions, as we're counseling others, as we're in discipleship relationships, as we're in Mac, um, our Mac groups, we have the whole counsel of God and we're not isolating just the things that we like. So let's get back to Jesus. Think about what he did with the enemy. When he was at the end of his 40-day fast, Satan came to tempt him. Satan used Scripture. Now, Remember, this is the same Jesus who was sleeping in the boat, stands up, and what does he say? Peace be still. He commanded nature. Do you think he couldn't have just said Satan and just flick him, just say, Word, get out of here? But what did he do? He used Scripture. And why did he do that? Because he knew we were coming after him and that we need to know how to appropriate Scripture to fight the enemy. I mean, think about that. I think that's pretty cool. He could have just said, Satan, shut up, but he didn't. He used, the, he used the word of God to show the authority and the integrity of the scripture. So as I mentioned today, we're going to discuss uh, the word in relationship to the church. So in context of the scripture... And there's going to be a couple times I'm going to ask you guys to participate, so please do so. In context of when I say the word scripture, or when I say the word, what comes to your mind? Huh? Okay. 
the Bible, the written word. What else? You guys say it louder. James? Yeah, okay. What else? Anything else? Truth, okay. So, as I was studying, it looks to me that there was about four things that were related to the Word. One, someone brought up Jesus. Jesus 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know Jesus is the Word. And then Matt brought up the Scriptures, our holy Scriptures, the paper that you and I read, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then there's two little footnotes that I thought were pretty cool that I just wanted to bring up. And one is God's spoken Word in the Scriptures, recorded where it was basically a thus saith the Lord, where the prophet would say something and he would say, thus saith the Lord. It was God's direct word written in the scripture. And the other one was God's personal word. You know, when he said, hey, Abraham, take your son. Or, hey, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? Those are recorded in the word. Again, when I think of what I'm trying to preach to you guys today, like I'm, I'm hoping we're doing this funnel thing where I'm going to bring you to the very last scripture. Sorry bring you to the very last scripture and so there's going to be a couple of points that I want you guys thinking in the back of your mind and the very first one that Eric asked me to make sure that you guys understood was that holy scripture is the supreme authority in the believer's life so please store that in your memory banks and as we're going through all these scriptures I want you to keep thinking the supreme authority in my life the supreme authority in my life now, it's a supreme authority in an unbeliever's life, too. They just don't recognize it. But for you and I, the church, the congregation, I want you to guys be thinking about that. Okay, again, we're talking about authority, so let's talk the definition. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Would you guys give me um, some earthly authorities that we have to submit to? The mayor, okay, politicians, who else? Come on, guys, don't leave me hanging. One more time. Police, okay? School authorities? First grade teacher. Parents, good call. Okay, I've got government, parents, employers, pastors, IRS. For those of you who know me, you know I'm fairly passionate. I get pretty excited about stuff. And to me, it's important with the dialogue where we're going, I like exclamation points. So we're going to discuss something. Well, you're not going to discuss it. I'm going to discuss something right now that can be very offensive to you guys. I ask that you hear me through. Realize I am not making a judgment call on the subject we're going to talk about. I'm using it specifically for one purpose and one purpose only. A number of years ago, the government of the United States came out with something called affirmative action. The purpose of affirmative action was in relationship to employment, business, and education to assist minorities who didn't, li- didn't have the same benefits that others had so that they would gain some benefits so they could access these things, employment, business, and school. Now, there was a reason they did that, and it was a legitimate reason. Those that were in authority in all of those different areas were holding minorities down. They weren't allowing them to progress. But what troubles me 
And we're going to show this in comparison to God and his authority. What troubles me is that affirmative action is powerless to correct the very problem, the very root of the problem that affirmative action law is trying to assist in. And what's that? They can't change man's wicked heart. It demands man's obedience without the power to deal with the issue. So if I don't like blacks, you think by me having to submit to a law and hiring black people that you're going to change them? I'm going to be madder. I'm going to hate them more. Because now you're forcing me to do something that I didn't want to do to begin with. Somebody get ahead of me in the line of education where they get accepted to law school and I don't? Oh, hey, I'm going to applaud that? No. I'm a wicked sinner with a wicked heart. So remember the point we're talking about here. The point that I'm talking about is affirmative action is powerless because it's unable to deal with the root issue, which is man's heart. Yeah, I didn't want to go there. Okay, so now we're going to discuss God and his authority. Scriptural authority, no, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm sorry. We are going to go here. So, for it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Here's the difference. God is working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What does that show you? Power. My will is corrupt until the Father enters in because he worketh to make me rejoice and recognize. These guys are my brothers and sisters. These minorities are my brothers and sisters. They're created in the God's same image as I am created. And all of a sudden, my will goes from staunchly opposed because I can't change my wicked heart to once I'm born again, wow, praise the Lord. I love these guys. I love minorities. I want them to succeed. They're created in God's image. So remember, remember I told you I want these little snippets in the back of your mind. One of them is the supreme authority of the word of God in a believer's life, and the other is this scripture, worketh both to will and to do, both to will and to do. God is working to will and to do. He wants my will in line with the Holy Scriptures, and he wants my actions in line with the Holy Scriptures. So Scripture's authority not only dictates my course in life, but it enables and empowers the transformation necessary for the execution required in obedience. Believe it or not, I made that up. So let, let's break it down a little bit. The whole point that I'm trying to make here is that affirmative action says do this, but sorry, you've got to figure out how to do it because I, I really can't help you change your heart. Whereas Scripture enables and empowers the transformation, my wicked heart being corrupted, to be a righteous heart for the execution requiring obedience. God says love my neighbor. I say, man, I can't do that. And he says, yeah, you're right, but guess what? I'm working both to will and to do of his good pleasure in my life. So God's given us the power to make those righteous choices. So please keep, uh, well, uh, Garrett, nice and loud, please. Thanks, Garrett. I mean, how cool is that? 
God's going to take out of us a stony, nasty heart and put in us a soft heart of flesh. Why? So we can be his children and we can perform those things on the earth that he's commanded us to do. Man, I love that scripture. I had him read it because I knew I'd be crying all the way through. Okay, so the authoritative of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, I've got four different points that we're going to talk about on how it rules and reigns in our lives, okay? So remember, we're talking about the supreme authority of the Word of God in a believer's life. God worketh to both will and to do of His good pleasure in our lives that we might be His children. So one way that the Scripture dictates how we are to live is James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their inflection to keep oneself unstained by the world. So God very clearly, numerous places in Scripture, tells us exactly what our actions are supposed to be. Romans 12, 2, uh, our thoughts. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, pastors do a great job of consistently telling us, and I know Betty and I were gone last weekend. We listened to the sermon a couple of times, and it appeared that there was a, a question from the audience, and Eric just handled it so well, and he said, basically, we make emotional responses to things that are very difficult that we want to make sure we try to have rule and reign in, but we've got to go back to what the Holy Scriptures say, and that's where our minds need to be transformed instead of conformed. And if we don't know the scriptures, we're not going to have transformed minds. We're going to keep running back to how I would handle this situation instead of the root of the holy scriptures. And this one might be a little bit odd to you, but perspective. Uh, Peter's talking, and I just put this one section of the scripture. It's not complete, but he says, I beseech you as pilgrims and strangers. So... Eternity, heaven, is what we're shooting for. It's not this life. Peter exhorts us to live as strangers and pilgrims in this life. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. In my mind, this helps me understand things. I think that I'm always either building my kingdom or I'm building God's kingdom. Are we thinking towards eternity or are we thinking about us in this life? The other question I want to ask you, and I ask myself this, am I too comfortable here? Strangers and pilgrims aren't comfortable. Strangers and pilgrims are scared, frustrated, freaked out, but they know that there's a better place that they're going to. When Betty and I went to Germany in July, we were strangers and pilgrims in Germany. We didn't speak the language. I wanted a cup of coffee. They gave me a cup of coffee. I mean, it was terrible. You know, there, buses are cool. I mean, they're cool. Everybody uses buses. Nobody has cars. Or you're riding your bike. The point is, Betty and I did not completely conform to the mode of Germany because we live in the U.S. We knew we were coming back home. Think about that. Heaven is our home. Are we conforming ourselves to this world's image? Or are we've got eternity in our mind? And then Matthew, uh, lastly, the values. Um, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. He dictates our values. You know, the world says don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, man, put all your eggs in one basket. Why do you think we have to have faith? Because, you know, I, I was thinking about this earlier. I would like, I think in some measure, you, you guys know the story in Acts, um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, okay? They sell a piece of land. They come to Peter and say, one of them says to Peter, hey, you know, here's the money we sold. And he says, yeah, did you really sell it for that much? And they had lied to God. The money was theirs to do with what they wanted, but they lied to God and said, oh, we only sold it for 40 grand instead of 60 grand. What happened? Boom, dead. Wife comes in afterwards and says, man, they're burying your husband. They're going to be burying you because you're lying to God. Can you imagine if that happened in the church today? That scares the tar out of me. But the reality is the point of this whole thing is we don't always see such blatant uh, exercise of God and his will. So we're consistently having to live by faith. The contrast is the rich young ruler. I don't know if you guys remember the story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what am I to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him a list, four or five things. And the rich young ruler says, Cool, I've done all those things from my youth up. Jesus says, Yeah, but you know what? One thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. What happened? He turned around and walked away. So his head bowed down. He turned around and walked away. He was sad because he owned great possessions. As a very side footnote, I want to talk to you about that. There are times not to pursue... Now, you know what? I'm not even going to go there. Okay, in the back of your mind, the authority of Scripture. In the back of your mind, God worketh both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He does so through the authority of the Scriptures. We just looked at the authority of Scriptures over, I listed four aspects of our life. You and I know that it's over all our aspects of our lives, but I just wanted to give you a, a little view. Again, we're funneling down that everything in our life is to be in obedience to God, which in essence is obedient to his holy scriptures. He's given us his holy scriptures as a guide so that we know his will and that we have the opportunity to follow it. Who remembers... In the book of Proverbs, when we did the study, who remembers what the main focal scripture was? Oh, come on. You guys are letting me hang out to dry. Sandra? Oh, say again? Okay, but what, what was the scripture? The beginning of? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let me ask you guys a question. Where does that fear come from? Right on comes from the word. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of, of God, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, to the Greek. And then I'm going to skip to the bottom one. Romans 2.14, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. And then lastly, Romans 10.14. Uh, let me read Romans 10.14 for you. For whoso calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How they shall believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now I'm going to take one step further. I'm not adding to the scriptures, but the idea here is, and how can he preach without something to preach? And I'm going to just give you a quick deal on, on me and my testimony. Uh, 1977, way before most of you guys were born. 
I had to hitchhike back from Oregon. My car broke down. I had to go to college. I hitchhiked back from Oregon. The first guy picks me up, shares the gospel with me. I get home over the course of two or three months. A friend of mine kept inviting me to a Bible study. And finally I said, yeah. I go there. I got hair down to here. I got a big old goatee. It's obvious I'm the only unbeliever in the room. Guy preaches a sermon. Again, it's my neighbor's house. There's six of us there. And at the end, you know, he says, hey, would everybody close their eyes? Everybody bow their head? Nobody looking around? Anybody here want to give their heart to Jesus? I raised my hand, said the sinner's prayer. Like that, my life was dramatically transformed. But, so start going to church on Sunday, going to church Sunday night, going to church Wednesday. Three months later, I'm at church on a Wednesday night, and we had prayer lines where the elders and pastors and stuff would be at the front if you wanted something to, uh, somebody to pray with you. So I go up front, and... I say to the pastor's wife, I say, so my sins, put them on the cross? That's the fear of the Lord. It took three months of the Word of God pounding against my natural understanding for me to get to that point. I'm sitting under good teaching for three months, and it took me that long to recognize that it was my sins that put Christ on the cross. The power of God unto salvation. The Holy Scriptures are what brings people to Jesus Christ. The Holy Scriptures are what begins the work of conversion in a person's mind. That's where the fear of the Lord comes in. So I wanted to just run over a couple of general Scriptures just to give you guys some more background of the authority of the Scriptures and the importance of the Scriptures. So... And we're in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be, your heart, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look at the consistency that God is requiring of us. Man, whether we're rising whether we're laying down, whether we're walking, whether we're talking, if we're going to work and I look at the get, my gates and I got scriptures written on them, when I come home and I see on the doorposts the scriptures are written on them, do you think God thinks the word of God is important? Look at how many places he's telling us to do this. It's a consistent effort on our part for the holy scriptures. Why? Because again, that's where the fear of the Lord comes from. That's where our understanding of his will comes from. That's where the power of to live a righteous life comes from as we understand the scriptures. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the words of truth. In other words, not flippantly. Authority is dangerous when used unwisely. We need to be careful that when we're talking to somebody that we just don't blow out a scripture in it because it's the only one we know. That can be very dangerous. The scriptures exhort us here to rightly divide the holy scriptures so that as you and I are walking in community, as you and I are teaching our children, as you and I are talking to Eric Russ about things, that we rightly discern and divide the word of God. It is critical that we be students of the word of God. Oh, I got one more, don't I? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, 
of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you guys are praying, you want to know God's will? Okay? you got to make a decision, and you're saying, Lord, man, I need to know your wisdom. And you're saying, Lord, is this you or is this me? Scripture right here tells you the holy scriptures are the discerner of the intentions of your heart. You can know God's will as we continue to bathe in the scriptures, become aware of who he is, become aware of his will, his desires, his dreams, his hopes for us. Remember, the supremacy of the authority of the word of God in a believer's life, God worketh both the will and to do of his good pleasure in our life. Hebrews 5, 12 and 14, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is but a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I, this, is, this just freaks me out. When you think of the community that we live in and the conversations that we have with people and the way that the scriptures have been completely mishandled in the United States, right here is telling us God will exercise our discerner so that in these conversations we can rightly divide the word of truth because we're constantly practicing and constantly exercising it in our conversations with friends, families, and neighbors. Every one of us, every one of you guys, can have a strong discerner. I'm very weak in it when it comes to kind of just natural stuff, but the scriptures promise me here that as I exercise this thing, and I exercise it in two ways, as I continue to embrace the word of God, as I continue to study the word of God, gain God's knowledge, gain his wisdom, gain his understanding, as I'm having conversations, when Russ or Leanne comes to me and says, hey, brother, we need to talk about this thing, and we wrestling back and forth, our discerners are being practiced at discerning good and evil. So that as we have conversations, we can quickly hear, you know what, that's really not scriptural. And we can be like John Wycliffe or whatever in our conversations with people and say, hey, show me the scripture where, where it says that because I, I, I don't discern that well. Okay. Caleb, nice and loud, baby. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than 
Caleb, excuse me. Let, let's just stop there. I didn't realize how long that was. But you know what? Go ahead and read the last section, the 14 through 17, if you would. Okay, I know that was a long set of scriptures. Sorry, probably should have condensed it, but it seemed to, I didn't want to take it out of context. This is what we're going to be talking about. So hear, hear, hear the word well. Thanks, Caleb. Okay, so one more time. The supreme authority of God's word in our life as a believer. Second thing is God both work, uh, God who worketh both to will and do of his good pleasure. And lastly, this is the culmination. This is the crux of the whole thing, that he equips us to every good work. Now, we're, we're, we're funneling down, so man, please stay with me on this. Because in my mind, it's clear, but I'm sure that I don't always portray it as well. Um, I think this next thing is just hilarious. For 31 years, Betty and I have had an ongoing conversation. And this conversation, there's a question in there that I ask Betty. She has one answer, I have another. So as I was preparing for the sermon, I went out to see if someone... um, uh, um, I can't think of the word. Someone discussed the scripture. So I, I, I plug it into Google, see that John Piper had a conversation about this, this scripture. And he asked the very same question that I asked. Does the Bible have an answer to your every question? Now, by a show of hands, who says yes? Okay, by a show of hands, who says no? Okay, looks like you're just about divided. So... I want to clarify something here. We're going to get into it in a minute, but I say that there is not an answer to our every question in the Scripture. But we're talking semantics here a little bit, and we're going to see why. What I would clarify that is that, does the Bible have an answer for our every question? Absolutely yes. Is it written down in Scripture? Absolutely no. So Piper says this, If we think about the Bible, it may lead us uh, astray in a couple of ways. I don't think I translated that fully the way Piper did. Uh, Two things. Failing to recognize that there are a myriad of things in today's world that simply were not present when Scripture was recorded. Obviously, it's not written in Scripture. You know, do you take Prozac? And I mean, there's, you know, there's just a variety of things in that. And then the other thing is that we can quickly rush into legalism if we've got just a long list of, of things. But there is a better way. So how does God... Okay, I, I need to ask you guys to kind of jump with me here. When I asked you the question, is there an answer to every question that you have in the Bible? And then I'm jumping to this next statement that God equips us for every good work. I hope you understand that those things are related, okay? In order for us to answer the questions that we have as we're confounded before God how to... Um, address a certain situation or whatever, if we're equipped for every good work, which is what God the Father promises us to do, we're going to be able to answer those questions. That's why I say that there is an answer for every question in the Scripture, just worded a little bit differently. So again, John Piper says there's two things here. I I would say that there's four, but these are basically a direct quote. Piper says that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, 
So one of the elements of us determining uh, the answers to questions, one of, us, one of the things determining how we're equipped for every good work, we have to exercise faith. Now, if you are born again, if you're saved, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, at that moment in time, you were given the gift of faith. It says in Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. So at the time of conversion, you received faith. My hope and prayer is that you guys have continued to exercise that gift of faith by trusting the Lord in a variety of ways as he's, driven, as he's taking you down a road. Uh, the other two that I would add here are very, very similar. Remember this scripture that Garrett read in Ezekiel where God says, I'm going to take out of you a stony heart and I'm going to put in you a new soft heart of flesh. Why? That you may be my children and walk in my ways and my statutes. So the second point that I'm going to make is God has taken our unregenerate heart that, like affirmative action, was incapable of making righteous choices and decisions. It was completely incapable of making those. And God has regenerated that heart, so now there's a capacity there to make righteous decisions and to be obedient to God's word. There's still problems with there that we can make you know, unrighteous choices, but now we have the capacity. And the, the, the third point that I would add, same thing, at conversion, we received the Holy Spirit. And I, I would really like to talk more about the Holy Spirit because I think it's a, just an exceptional element that we don't discuss very much in Reformed circles, but that, that's for another conversation. The Bible's very, very clear that we've been given this Holy Spirit. And, and there's, a, there's a, a couple of points that just blow my mind. When you think that the Holy Spirit is in direct communion with God the Father, like constantly, and he lives in us, I mean, like, man, you guys ought to be shouting. The Holy Spirit who is in daily communion with the Father and knows the particulars of God's mind and his will lives in us. I mean, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, so then the, the fourth thing that uh, John Piper brings up is, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay. We're wrapping it up. Here, here's the whole deal. Authority of the scripture of the believer's life. God worketh both to will and do of his good pleasure. And then the four points we just discussed. We have the gift of faith. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have a regenerate heart that is capable of righteousness. And lastly, man, here's the deal. We've been grafted into Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's incredible. He says, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God. We've died to the law that used to just be rules and regulations of how-tos and how-not-tos that happened in the Old Testament. What came from that was the people's recognition that I can't do this. So their cry was, we need a savior. That was the whole point of the law is to direct them toward to Christ because they were incapable of performing these rules and regulations. Now Christ enters the scene. He becomes the very word of God, and he is the vine and the roots, 
And you and I are his children, are his fruit bearers, we're his branches. So uh, make a couple more points. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are in Christ. That's how we're equipped for every good work. How much more could we ask for? We've got an opportunistic heart who is capable of righteousness. We've got the Holy Spirit who communes with God and he instructs us in the ways of righteousness so our discerner is exercised as we're practicing this thing. The Holy Spirit helps us rightly divide the word of truth so in conversations we can talk freely of the scriptures with intelligence. I mean, we've got the gift of faith. And here's, here's the, for me, I think that's the biggest one. I've always had a little deal that, that works for me. I believe you can either step off a cliff of faith or one day God's going to push you off that cliff. And I think we consistently need to be exercising that gift of faith in our conversations, in the way we do things, the way we appropriate scriptures. Now, I'm sorry, not that last one. Just in the way we do things. Two other scriptures, Galatians 4, 7 says, we're no longer a slave, but we're an heir of God through Christ Jesus. And then Romans 6, 3 talks about that we've been buried with Christ in like baptism, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, so we should walk in newness of life. We are equipped for every good work by our Heavenly Father with the gift of faith, gift of a regenerated heart, gift of the Holy Spirit, and lastly, because he plugged us in and we've been grafted into Jesus Christ himself, how could we not be equipped for every good work? God equips us for every good work, not with a binding checklist, but with a soft heart, guided by the Holy Spirit that is foundationally rooted in the word, his son Jesus. He is the vine, we are the branches, bearing his fruit. Pastor. wasn't ready for that one. Um, I'll be honest with you, Pastor. I'd never thought about it, and my mind is so, like, directed in this. I, I don't know that I can. If someone else has toots. Yeah, I mean, that works. Trust in the Lord with... Yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, Proverbs? Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's a pretty general one um, because there are times, Pastor, I mean, I, I think we all recognize this. We pray and we ask the Lord, hey, you know, do I turn left or do I turn right? He's not going to tell us which way to turn left or right. To me, that's where the exercise of faith, that's the exercise of discernment, that's the exercise of knowing the Scripture because you can weed out some of that, I believe, Pastor, where, you know, you know that this is not God's will. This is not God's will. This is not God's will. Here's God's will in a general format and... We move from there. So my apologies, Pastor. Sam?
Is she a believer? Good point. Thanks, Sam. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up, and, and Pastor basically just brought it up, that, it, that both Leon and Eric consistently bring up, is the Christian life is messy. The Christian life is not A plus B equals C, therefore D. I mean, it, 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 it varies consistently. That's why it's critical for us as individuals to be running through this whole process because there isn't a checklist. I'll just give you a quick example. Alcohol. Does the Bible speak against alcohol? No, it speaks against drinking. It speaks against becoming a drunkard. But I can guarantee you that there are some people, they have to abstain from drinking because whatever their makeup is, they don't know how to handle it. So to them, drinking is sin. To others, it's not sin. And you have to learn to discern that. Eric Russ is not going to discern that for you. Leon is not going to discern that for you. You, in your relationship with God, have to be able to discern those things. Does that make sense, the example I used? Okay. Um, that's it. Oh, one other thing. When, when, when you think about it, okay, you, you think Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, we're, we're his fruit bearers. You know, one of the questions you can ask me is, what happens when we bear nasty fruit? What happens to that? What, what was the song that we sang today? Nothing is wasted. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Even when we bear fruit, God redeems that. I, I mean, like, man, we got it made. We got it made as believers. God even takes bad fruit and turns it out for his glory and for our benefit.